0: So 10 years ago this week, a general election happened in Ireland. That election caused uh, the third largest turnover of parliamentarians in any general election in any Western democracy since the Second World War. It was an extraordinary moment in Irish electoral politics. I think everyone will agree. It also gave us a decade of Fine Gael uh, initially with Labour, subsequently confidence supply arrangement with Fianna Fáil and then coalition with Fianna Fáil and the Greens. This election happened at the height of austerity uh, and the trauma of the crash really was writ large all across the country. One of the things that is often spoken about about that time is how sparse the reactions to the trauma of the crash were. Um, And I think that's a little bit of a fallacy when you think back. There were student protests uh, there were the anti austerity protests, which kind of got a new life for the water charges protests, which were gigantic going on into the middle of that decade. There was the Occupy movement and sit ins and strikes. There were teacher protests, farmer protests, the October 20 2009 pensioner and student protests that kind of merged. There was a civil servant strike over pensions, guard the march, taxi driver protests. I remember in February 2009, there was that massive protest in the streets of about 120,000 people. Uh, more student protests in 2010 um actually those ones in particular were the largest student protests in a generation there was other stuff going on as well there was the 2009 appearance and questions and answers by michael o'brien a former Fáil politician who detailed the rape and abuse he suffered in an industrial school moment kind of snapped the nation in its tracks and brought back the old the the kind of cruelty of old ireland there was the marriage equality movement protesting. There was mass emigration. There was basically a lot of things happening. At the time, uh, I was living with two of my friends, uh, Fionn Kidney and Dylan Haskins, in an apartment that we got as a res- direct result of said crash uh, on O'Connell Bridge um, and in, in rent that is definitely not charging for now. And this... Physical space uh, kind of provided an almost a, a balcony to these movements, to this despair and rage and optimism and nihilism on the streets, and it felt because it was happening that almost every weekend we were looking out at these protests coming down O'Connell Street if we weren't uh, in fact in them ourselves. Um, so watching the kind of day in, day out doom on the news and current affairs programs and, and feeling it and feeling our friends leaving, we all kind of had a feeling that we needed to do something. This is a special bonus podcast today uh, that kind of just decided on chatting about a little bit last minute um, from the about the feeling of that time and what happened with that feeling when um Dylan Haskins decided to run for election as an independent candidate uh, with us in the apartment uh, running that campaign. We were running to win, uh, but also to give ourselves purpose, uh, to try and build some kind of a movement to register people to vote and to just have a go. In that, we built a, a campaign that was, as I was saying to Dylan over WhatsApp or or yesterday or something when he alerted me to the anniversary um, that, you know, we were so naive in a way. Um, We were supported tremendously. It was an all-volunteer team. We were also ridiculed. Uh, The campaign was also covered really widely in the national and international press. Uh, Ultimately, Dylan didn't get elected, but the residue, I suppose, of that campaign stuck in many ways, not just through friendships uh, that were formed or uh, compounded, but also going into uh, what was happening uh, in in the LGBT community around marriage equality. A lot of people got their first um, experience of campaigning on that campaign, um, learned a lot, worked a lot. And we just thought we'd have a conversation about that time and about that campaign, considering that it is a decade on from that landmark election. Um, Dylan, how are you?
1: Good. You make it sound when you say I decided to run, you don't you leave out the coercion, the heavy coercion from you um, whose idea the whole thing was. So <laughs> it's a key part of the story there, how, how it starts
0: well let's uh yeah well the slogan was of course it starts here so let's start at the start um what was the genesis of the campaign um if you want to talk before you talk about the decision to run what about the context of the time where were you at and where were your pals at
1: yeah it was, it is interesting i was kind of going going back there in my head as you were describing the um the context of the time so we're talking kind of the end of 2010 so the recession had kind of fully kicked in. I was I was two years into. Was I in my I was in my third year. I had just started my third year of history of art and architecture and classics in Trinity, and um those student protests. I was on those student protests. I remember painting a giant banner, um, uh, which was another slogan that we used from that time, which was "We write the future." Um, which we unfurled out the the apartment window to the kind of student protest as it went by and that that student protest was around the fees and um, it was weird being being at co- being in college in the middle of the city um at that time because it was all happening around you I remember one um one kind of winter evening in the library in, in college and it was I think it was the night that they announced that the um, the, the, of the bailout it was the first night that they announced the bailout, bailout and it was this kind of hastily arranged press conference in government buildings Um, and I'd be, I was in the library and I saw that this was happening and I remember it was it was freezing and there was loads of media just parked up outside um the back door into Leinster house uh, and I remember just going and just walking out and Blagging my way past the guards at the entrance to leinster House and getting all the way into the the foyer because I was like, this is pretty historic, this press conference. And I got, I got past the first guard. I got in literally to the foyer, and and they could see I didn't quite know where I was going to the to the conference that was about to start. And um, a guard said, "Hang on a second, I'll I'll, uh, someone will bring you up." and the government press secretary came running down the stairs and um, sussed me out immediately that I wasn't supposed to be there and sent me on my way. But um, I, I almost got in there for the moment that they announced that. And um, but 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 it was it was all happening around and it was it was it feels like it was winter as well. It was cold and um, there was that I'd be previously been involved in in lots of kind of DIY stuff around a kind of a punk scene and. Um, the kind of music and that was all quite political and then uh earlier in 2009 um, myself and a and a bunch of um friends from ncad John king andreas kindler van um, and and loads of others started a um a collective called exchange dublin which we we set up this collective space in in a in an old furniture shop in temple bar that used to have ridiculous price furniture and um, so there was there was stuff going on but it was around that time where where i know the feeling that we had was um we and i think this may have been what you said to me which was we can't vote for any of these people one of us has to one of us will have to run because you, how can you? You've got to vote, but it's not much use if there's no one that you can vote for. Um, and that was quite late in the day. This is like late December that we're talking that that was that that was happening. Um, and and obviously the, the the this had been this two years into the recession, so people had lost loads. The prospects for young people were awful. Emigration um, was the the only thing really on the horizon for most young people. People were already starting to leave. It, it was quite a grim time and I remember the narrative was this debt is going to burden this country for decades that was the narrative we will never be out of this and for someone growing up um I was 23 at the time uh I'd always known the Celtic tiger and that had always been this permanent thing I'd never been particularly into the culture that went with that um but I kind of I was kind of well who knows you know what um everybody seems to be pretty happy with this and doing pretty well so who am I to kind of say it's wrong and then everything collapses and then your brain goes oh that thing that you've always thought was permanent isn't permanent and then possibilities opened up
0: yeah I think it's interesting to to reflect on that time as well because um so often we kind of just move on and I think that the trauma of the crash especially like an awful lot of people's even socializing orientated around you know goodbye parties uh, for people you know that trauma the echo of it is still kind of clanging in the air um in ireland and uh, and elsewhere of course but at what stage um i may have said that to you you know uh, how bad my memory you definitely, is
1: you definitely did say that to me this, yeah
0: <laughs> we were yeah. kind of coming from a similar a similar and different place politically i suppose like we're both from the same suburb dean's grange in dublin you had uh turned um the house that you were in into a a venue effectively and then left
1: that's how we met each other that was i you know what i was like 18 and 19 i was in sixth year and my dad died that summer and i um, I I inherited his his house in Dean's Grange and I was starting at that time into the year in IADT. so it's just down the road from it, and started putting on the gigs. And um, the Heather's were one of the bands around then, and you were you were probably the first person to actually write about that scene before we knew each other, um, and that that was I think how I met you was you kind of spotting this kind of music scene that was kind of happening when we had had nothing to do with media whatsoever that was my kind of first engagement with anyone who was you were the mainstream media there even though <laughs> you're the acceptable face of mainstream media at that time to me
0: <laughs> okay well i can we can uh, talk about that off um off uh, off mic but um at what point did after kind of all of us having the, these discussions about you know we have to do something Um, and feeling quite helpless given the gravity of the situation and I suppose the lack of control really like there were so many you know systems and structures that just felt so much bigger than us uh you know bigger than everyone in Ireland in a way like you know massive economic forces and political forces um so I think there was maybe a, a a desire for control or purpose within that but when did you make the call to do it?
1: Uh, one crucial night was at a beach house gig in Vicker street. Um, and you had planted the seed and it was, it must've been, maybe it was after Christmas, but before the start, or maybe it was, early, I can't remember when it was, and um, easily checkable, but, um, and, and I remember that was when I was kind of on the verge of, of saying, right, we'll do this. But I remember the decision in my head was "I'm not going to do this just for the sake of, you know, making a point that if we do it, we're going to do it and try and win it, which is obviously hugely ambitious and a bit naive, but um, that was the decision. It, was, it felt like it would be a waste of time and a waste of people's vote, even though we have a single transferable vote. So it wouldn't really, as long as people went all the way down the preference list um, to, to, to do it. So that, that, was, that was the point that it tipped into saying, right, uh, let's do it. And it was early January that we decided to do it. And then there was three and a half weeks to put a team together and build a campaign. And at that point in early January, it was just it was just the two of us at that first point. And Fionn, who was our housemate, kept saying, "You guys really need to get a campaign manager." Um, and we were like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." yeah. And then Fionn just ended up having to do that job. The other thing was there was a there was a conversation, another conversation we had. You were working in the, the Sunday Tribune at the time. And you were like, I'm willing to put my job on pause and do this campaign um and, and make it happen. And and I think you took a, a leave from, from work to do the campaign. And the fact that that you were willing, you know, I was a co- I was a I was in college. I was potentially going to get kicked out of college for missing class. You were putting your actual professional job on the line there as well. So you were kind of making a bigger sacrifice in that and that kit kind of gave me the confidence to go okay let's 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 do this. And it it kind of it's funny that the 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 trip then didn't the trip go under like during the campaign was when that actually kind of happened as well, wasn't it? For you? Yeah.
0: So we were kind of frantically putting the team together. Um and again the naivety uh we can talk about maybe things we would have done differently, but we basically were trying to build what would what was not what would look like but what was an incredibly professional uh wide-ranging uh, multifaceted campaign that would have not just all of the things that we could intuitively do which became um you know replicated an awful lot around our digital communication but also around policy you know like writing all these policy documents um you know getting all of the uh, fun, like fundraising in kind of very, very small amounts, uh, recruiting volunteers, um, which Lisa Connell, who's now the editor of GCN, kind of led, and getting people in who we thought would really stick with what we were doing. Yeah, just kind of setting up the infrastructure of what you'd normally have of an actual professional team. Now, obviously, we were all doing this with a budget of zero and the kind of castings around that of like getting posters up and building you know canvassing teams and trying to get you on television debates and all that kind of stuff was going on and yeah you're right it was the day the election was actually called uh, the Tribune went under effectively I think I had taken leave you're right of a, of a month I was already off work and I remember Noreen Haggerty from the tri- Tribune ringing me saying you need to come in and I said is it bad? And she said, yeah, it's bad. And, and that week the Tribune went under. So that was a massive disruption uh, within it. I remember coming back from that meeting uh, on uh, Talbot Street and just kind of crying on the bathroom floor for a couple of hours going, oh, my God, I've lost my job, I've lost my career. And at that point then, which was very uh, characteristic of the recession, I was unemployed suddenly. Uh, Fionn was unemployed. You were unemployed, <laughs> and we were about to embark on an incredibly stressful experience. How was the campaign built? Do you think, and what did you have in mind?
1: I I know what what we didn't want to do was we didn't want um, independent candidates at that point had had primarily gotten elected on very local issues and and leveraging dull seats for getting wins for on on quite local issues and we we didn't want to do that we wanted to specifically say one of the things that's wrong with Irish politics is the kind of the kind of parish pump um clientelism of 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 TDs effectively doing what people getting things done for people that people are actually already entitled to and because services are bad, um, people are needing to go and get TDs t- to get the things that they're actually entitled to and pay their taxes for already. So we didn't we didn't want to do that. We knew we we knew we wanted to have national policies. We knew there was loads of areas, particularly economics, that were not our areas of expertise as well. So we need to go and um, find people who could we just talked to so many people in that first month to be like people who who we liked what they were saying and it kind of aligned with our own sensibility so the Peter Stafford was one person who came in to talk to you know to help us write on our economics policy my really good friend Barry Cattle helped us with stuff like that on that policy as well you and Fionn knew loads of people as well particularly around social justice and connected me with tons of people um who were really really um really respected figures and who, who really guided us. One thing at that time, I, I'm just remembering as well, the, the, the policy context of, so marriage equality was obviously one. I was looking back before we were chatting there on some of our policies. Um, like Fine Gael had no policy on marriage equality that year in that election. They had no policy. They left it up to their candidates. Um, Fina Fall, i I'm pretty sure was against it. Um, uh, I think Labour Party were, were, I can't remember Sinn Féin's position, but Labour were one of the only ones I think who were quite vocal on it, um, uh, and it 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 wasn't a mainstream issue, and um and 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 that was one thing that we focused on 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 big just on the idea of equality, um and to and to give a kind of sense of of where Ireland was and how much it's changed since then, I was looking at our our answer to a question: What's your policy on abortion at the time? And we. We had given an answer, which I think was quite, it was, we'd said that we, we you know, believed that the latest ruling of the um, European Court of Human Rights should be implemented, which we didn't, we didn't, which which was basically that this should be legislated for and it is a right for people. But we weren't saying that we were, we, that was, it seems to me reading back on that we were kind of doing a nod and a wink to people who knew what that was and cared about that issue would know that, but we equally we're probably going. That's a big vote loser of an issue at that point, and it was quite a contentious thing to be talking about. So we were we were taking quite an an I would say not a populist f- position at that point on on that issue, but we weren't even confident enough to be shouting about that. Such was the mood in Ireland, and so so you know that's changed obviously so much since now. I just thought that was quite an interesting thing of like you can see where we were brave and where we were where we were still going, right? That that we need to kind of tread carefully in how we do that.
0: I also think it's hilarious that we thought for one moment that people would do a deep dive into the policies of 20 what year old independent candidate. But we did we had
1: like because we did we wrote the policy document which took ages and then we were like, but it needs there's loads of policies that, you, that we didn't have an issue on. And we did a quite innovative thing, which which I think Michael D did in his presidential campaign then which was people could ask a question and you would post an answer to it which was kind of forming the or giving your policy kind of on as developing as you go but obviously it's grounded by certain core principles and everything kind of comes back to that um but like we had a policy on on puppy farms um (laughs) yeah um, yeah
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, I just remember um, looking back on how ridiculous that is to I mean, we were trying to be very comprehensive. Again, there was a naivety to that. And I think we felt <clears throat> we felt that in order to, like, be serious or have integrity, you had to, like, tackle all of these issues and that everything was going to be about national issues. And um, it's yeah, funny, funny in a way uh, when you think about how people actually get elected, um, <laughs> which front- was the
1: part which was the part and you mentioned um Lisa there as well. And that the, that, that the ground game of the knocking on doors was something we started, but we had like the timeline of this, which has been such a, it's such a, it's such a monumental moment in my, in my life, in terms of life experiences. And it was literally less than two months. It was the January building the campaign end of January. Um, it was announced two days early by David McWilliams accidentally on the Marion Finucane show. And then we had three and a half weeks of a campaign and then it was 25th of February and then it was over. And that was, that was it. But it, so we had, and I remember it, the strategy was week one of, of, from announcement week one, tell people you exist. Week two, start communicating some of the ideas you have week three, try and get some international press to add credibility. That was, that was the strategy. Um, and, and uh, it, it's, it's, and then, and then in the midst of that, try and do the canvassing, which was the most, is the most important thing still in Irish politics and in getting elected. And there's just, it, it, you know, in a big constituency, it, it, it it's really hard to cover that ground in three weeks. It's kind of ridiculous. You need to be doing that for, you know, a year.
0: So, yeah, that, that's totally true. And on the endor- endor- uh, endorsements as well, um, I, I, I recall we were trying to get, like, because you were an unknown candidate, um, we were trying to get people around you uh, that we could then push their names to give some kind of name recognition uh, to a candidate who didn't have name recognition outside of like a punk scene and, and an arts and culture scene. And I remember having a bit of a wake up call. Actually, we went to meet uh, Mick Wallace um, to get his endorsement on something. And um, I can't remember what it was, property or. or oh, he
1: no, he gave it. It was it was the, some of the, I was there on the the. The, the the National Library of Ireland archived the website, so there, it's all still it's all still there to draw, to dive into. So Mick, we, we had a page of endorsements, and it was like Mick Wallace, Dermot Ferriter, Rory O'Neill, and uh, Natalie Wadeck, Philly McMahon, um, uh, uh, Rosaline McDonough. Um, but yeah, there were some. Of them, there's probably I'm forgetting some as well. Yeah,
0: because I remember we it was in right at the we're maybe a week into the campaign, and we met with Mick Wallace, and I remember at the end of the meeting when the posters kind of started going up and he said where did you get your posters done and we said oh well we just kind of cobbled together this that and the other and he was like oh can you give me a number of a printer or whatever I was like are you thinking of running Mick and he said yeah yeah I think I am of course he ended up becoming a TD and an MEP but what was the messaging generally and and why and why do you think it was important
1: I mean, you tell me, you tell me on the messaging. That was, that was your brief. You were the director of communications for, um, to give it a, I mean, I don't know if we use those titles, but that's what it was. Um, uh, so yeah, you, you, you tell me.
0: Well, the slogan was, it starts here, uh, which was actually, I think Derek O'Connor, uh, came up with that line. We wanted something that was optimistic. Um, we had, done this really, really excellent uh, campaign video, actually, this kind of animation, which is obviously really, you know, you kind of see this stuff everywhere now, but at the time it was, you know, kind of a new thing. Um, this kind of like live drawing with you kind of giving the, this this uh, very good speech actually, I must have written it. Anyway. Um,
1: there, there was there was there was a lot of work. I think Barry Cattle actually did have a hand in that speech as well. I remember we wrote that late one night and it was like refined by By many minds on that that particular one.
0: Collaborative process. (laughs) But I suppose it was about um, optimism. It was about, we had this whole thing about like, there was so much anger and, you know, desolate, desolate urban, (laughs) urban desolation and kind of a desolation of thinking, um, you know, depressed, understandably so, uh, mindset and, and one of the things that we wanted is like you know we want to be for something you know as opposed to just against things because we know we we know what people were against we wanted to be about transparency in politics about equality as you say and equity about intergenerational kind of learning there was there was kind of a big generational divide opening up I suppose with younger people you know really feeling that they were going to be tremendously screwed over but we were kind of seeing, well, actually, there's so much wisdom there and this doesn't need to be a divide. There was a lot of stuff that was quite, I suppose it was about an energy and an optimism and to bring some kind of vibrancy to something. I I, I guess we we also, you know, I personally like, you know, you kind of reminded me of the thing like we, we can't vote for any of these people, you know, and and I guess it was trying to add something else into the mix. You know, it was about youth as well i think um the the kind of the qualities that younger politicians can bring to an older establishment
1: yeah it felt like politics was dominated by one very particular type of voice at that time and and we were saying it's not about young people taking over but that young people are going to have to carry a huge burden here and they should be involved in the the process of coming up with the solutions that was kind of the idea
0: um, let's talk about the canvassing then, uh, obviously canvassing has become something people are very familiar with. What were you going to say there, Dale? I was just going
1: to say, there was one thing which, which you reminded me of when you said, that, um, with the transparency thing, there was a, there was one of the things we wanted to do, and this was quite original, I think was even if we didn't get elected, we wanted the campaign to be run The the line that I remember saying loads in interviews was I'm, I'm running my campaign as I'll run my office. And that was the publishing all of the donations on a weekly basis, I think, and then at the end of the election, we published the names of every single person who donated to the campaign, whether it was a fiver to, you know, a few of the bigger donations. And we didn't, you know, you're not, you not you are not you do not have to do that. There's a certain threshold above which you have to donate, and usually parties get people to donate slightly under it so that that they don't have to to do that. And so that was that was like putting putting your money where your mouth is, and being like demonstrate it like do it as say do it do it like that thing you're talking about promising just actually do it in the campaign mm. um, and there was another idea which was um which i i really loved which was the the idea of a constituency um a campaign a constituency forum so rather than the clinic rather than the kind of monthly or weekly clinic that you would have a forum Whereby the constituents could come and discuss issues together rather than kind of one to one, so that you get more of a discussion going um, within the constituency. And that's, that informs the decisions and, and the policies that you're kind of trying to put forward as a, as a public representative, which I still think could, you know, is, is quite a good way of, of keeping that contact and democratizing throughout the term of a government rather than just at an, you know, an election.
0: Yeah, it was very Sorry. much about like people having their say, right? Because we felt so disempowered and that all of these massive uh, h- decisions of huge consequence and actions of huge consequence, you know, the power had been taken away from um, the people themselves to make dis- really profound decisions about their lives and futures. The constituency, it's Dublin-based South now. It had a different name then? Dublin
1: Southeast. Yeah. Dublin
0: Southeast, right. And this is the wealthiest constituency in uh the country i believe um the
1: best educated as well i think in terms of university education most university educated number of people i think
0: yeah and i remember um obviously lisa connell led the the volunteer part and the canvassing part this idea of canvassing and knocking on doors obviously you know tens of thousand people and now like maybe younger people are very familiar with that now because of the repeal movement because of the marriage equality movement but it was different uh time it was 2011 uh four years before the marriage referendum and uh this thing of kind of going around knocking on doors and canvassing and obviously I was trying to get you know people to cover that and there was a mixture of there were three kind of those kind of pillars of that I suppose knocking on doors and marking off streets and doing kind of broader kind of um canvases uh you know where you just kind of pop up at a school or whatever I remember you really enjoyed those because you know people would come up and talk to you and tell you you were great and we would say Dylan you need to go and knock on fucking doors (laughs) um (laughs) and then there were kind of the hustings and things like that what was your experience at that time what age were you again at the time
1: 23
0: 23 what was your experience on the doors at that time because it's such a different social and political context like that moment in post crash but very much uh extreme austerity vibes it was
1: it was my favorite part of it as well actually um i couldn't believe you would look at a row of houses and it would ostensibly they all look the same you know saying uh, so say it was somewhere like Ranla or something like that and you think those all look like well-to-do houses and knocking on the door there was just a different story behind each door. And some were grand and some were still privileged and some weren't. And some were talking about the family emigrating in some instances. And I just remember being like, it blew my mind as to how many stories and how many different experiences were there, albeit a quite an affluent for the most part constituency. Um, not all of the constituency, but but with some of the most affluent parts of the country in the constituency. Um yeah and just just the the multiplicity of life experiences and seeing behind those doors and having an excuse to knock on those doors and see what was behind those doors and talk to people i i I found that really interesting Um, i remember when i I remember when i was canvassing for the marriage equality referendum it was a lot easier when you're asking people to vote for an issue than for you because it's it's less it's more objective i guess if it's about it's about an it's about something which is which is about everybody rather than give me your vote, which is a harder question to ask. And it's such a it's so weird the first time you go out and you're knocking on doors doing that. Um, but as as you say, I think so many people will have experienced the the enjoyment that you can get from doing that now. Um, it was it was January and February, February as well, so it was bloody cold and dark evenings as well. It's a really bad time for canvassing when you you know everyone's at home and you're knocking on their door. During a match, or while they're watching EastEnders or something, and and it's like you know, no one wants their door open, letting the heat out as well. So there's like really practical things that uh, I think people just. I and I certainly, you, you know, when you were when you're on canvases for the for the referendums, th- that and and there'll always be some very experienced people from canvassing on those and they know they just know they're like oh don't bother with that that area there you can't get into those houses they just know and they they have an operation whereas we were we were kind of we were trying to figure that out and um yeah you're you're, we 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 probably that's definitely something had we had more time we could have done better but it was it was that it was the difference in 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 seeing into people's lives and when you're 23 you have a particular view of the world that is is like your own lived experience and it it just showed me there was so much more than what i had witnessed or experienced in my life and that that kind of was a bit of an eye opener
0: Mm. on the hustings then kind of debating different candidates um I think it was this, this election and, and maybe a debate that you were doing in a school or something that I went along to was the first time I came across a young man called Owen Murphy, who was also running, running in the constituency. He was in
1: rat Mines in the town hall in rat Mines, I think it was, maybe.
0: Right. Or yeah, school. that rings maybe a bell. Sure. Yeah. Um, how did you find that um, coming up against as as an independent candidate with an all volunteer run crew coming up against the party machines, shall we say? Which were very embedded in that constituency, be that Labour or Fine Gael or indeed Finnefol.
1: And and John Gormley was a sitting TD in the constituency and a minister. The yeah. Um, I was, I was surprised by the, by, not not all, not not everywhere, but I was surprised. Generally, there was a there was actually a friendliness, um, that was that was there where people kind of probably maybe because I wasn't a particular party, they were kind of intrigued a little bit. And, and, and we we'll talk more about, it. there's one moment that I, I remembered really well, which was in UCD. And there was, uh, it was, I was debating against Rory Quinn the who was subsequently the minister for education and I was a you know second year third year student um not 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 there but anyway it, it, it was an education it was a, a debate about various issues for the university but there was a university lecturer in the audience who asked a question that was related to the univer um, kind of uh, lecturers unions um and it was kind of an industrial relations type question uh and he used the acronym for one of the representative organizations for university lecturers. And I didn't know what it was. And it, and it, and I suspect he was using it deliberately. He wasn't explaining for the room what he was talking about. It was a very specific question. Um, and, and, and Rory Quinn spotted that I didn't know what it was and leaned over and whispered what it was to me. Um, and I just thought that was quite a nice moment of like someone who was on his last election, kind of not wanting to see somebody die, die on the stage, on the stage there and, and being like, I had an answer once I knew what the thing was, you know, but it was, um, th- there's definitely moments like that, 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 yeah, they and then, and then, I mean, I, I don't know what, to, Owen Murphy I think was the first, that was his first time running as a TD, I think maybe he'd been a councillor before that, Lucinda Creighton was also running, and and both of them uh, got elected, and, and then the two other seats went to Rory Quinn and Kevin Humphreys, so they, it was two Labour, two Fine Gael. Um and Kevin Humphreys I remember being very nice and polite and lovely as well, um, uh I, I, it's funny because like you looked at like Owen Murphy who was, who was young and handsome and uh, you know, I, I think he had a nice car driving around and we were just kind of quite ramshackle by comparison. And it's like the, the the kid who has everything with the big party supporting the machine and the shiny campaign. And, and ours was a more homespun thing, but i um, I think he was, he was pretty friendly as well, but it did. I remember being quite frustrated at the, the, the they didn't have to say a lot if you were from one of those parties you didn't have to say a lot and um, a lot of a lot of people were just not voting for Fianna Fáil, um and as long as you didn't do anything to lose those votes uh and that was i think the strategy that a lot of uh, um Finnegan candidates in particular probably probably employed um and that was frustrating when you were trying to say so much um and you're coming up against people who it felt to me weren't saying weren't saying an awful lot at the time
0: the campaign was also an exercise in volunteerism in building a collective we did gigs like fundraising events there were registration drives I mean I don't know how many people we registered to vote for the first time or who voted for the first time because of the campaign but it was a lot Uh, we had a the biggest online presence probably of any candidate just by virtue of how clued in we were to digital comms. Um, Fion came from kind of a, a marketing and strategy background uh, before he, he wasn't working in that anymore. So that was very intuitive um, and very successful as, as a piece of kind of comms, I suppose. But what it also spawned was, even though there was an awful lot of people who, as you say, were being friendly or going kind to of fair play to you, was a huge amount of negativity and ridicule um people question questioning your youth and your age um
1: the key one was um the, the there was a poster which so the campaign slogan was it starts here and someone had written puberty underneath that, faces <laughs> that, that was... that's a that's a good gag somebody spoiled their ballot paper writing virgin next to next to my photo as well <laughs>
0: But what did you feel about that? I mean, I I was obviously at that stage, having been a journalist for many years, even though I was 27 or something, I'd already been um, working for a long time and was used to uh, getting crap uh, on the Internet and um, elsewhere. You know, I'm as cynical as the next person. Uh, There were parts of it that were really disheartening because I felt that we were trying to do something good, like we weren't assholes you know like we weren't um trying to do some like crazy like right-wing populist thing that deserved to be dragged down um again we were naive but we were trying to do something positive when we were trying to um we were probably trying to be you know way too many things to way too few people but uh I just wonder how you felt about that and how you feel about it on reflection, like that that kind of slagging or or writing someone off um, or trying to drag them down. It used to frustrate me because I just felt like, well, you know, at least we're fucking doing something. You know, we're trying to do something here.
1: Yeah, and it, a lot of it was... Um... Like a lot of it. And, you know, I look, I've se- I was looking back at some of it, our, our photos yesterday and stuff. And I, I do look ridiculously young in it. and when you blow your face up, you know, I'm a giant poster and you do look young, you do still look jo- young anyway. I mean, I still crank grow a beard, like, you know, 10 years old. So like, <laughs> I never did Movember because people think I was cheating, but um, the, 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 a lot of it was like oh he looks like jedward or um jace what's that 80s pop star guy jason donovan yeah and that and um or um and and like loads of it it was just so cynical loads of, there was a certain type of guy that i encountered um and it was it was men of a certain age it was there weren't they weren't I would say men in their kind of mid thirties to mid forties were the most cynical type of people that I encountered. Um, and, and why and, why
0: is that? Do you think, because that kind of remains the, the way <laughs> yeah. today.
1: I don't know. Oh, it's obviously insecurity. It's always insecurity, isn't it? It's, it's, it's people's own, own insecurities about stuff. Um, uh, and maybe being like, who's this kind of kid think he is. um,
0: well, yeah, it was interesting um, the occasions where we you'd be kind of slagged on Twitter or people saying things around, uh, you know, even how young your skin looked and things like that. Um, it was really it, it was really interesting to me. and It was quite illuminating to me because obviously that attitude has has in many ways actually died out because of the optimism and positivity and political power that marriage equality and repeal movements gave that people were like we're going to do this and we're going to change the constitution and then it happened so it's kind of a different framework now of where cynicism is dropping in because uh, you know yeah that did feel kind of like the last vestiges of that weird you know flailing begrudgery or something it doesn't happen as much anymore. When you look at the younger politicians coming up now, people are more inclined to be like "fair play to you, Holly Cairns" or Gary Gannon or whoever it is.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's and I like at the time. I, you, at the time, I remember loads of. I, at the time, I remember it. it, it, it I I place more weight in my head on the negative stuff than on the positive stuff. And and looking back, there's actually. So much stuff on the positive things, and on some of the the the, the message forums, you can see people um, actually arguing for you as well, and 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 calling people out on their cynicism as well. And and I, I do wonder if that that it, there's definitely loads more younger candidates around in the last the last two elections as well, and that is um yeah it, it it's less of a people are less shocked by this, I guess um like there was a lot of that broadsheet as well had like every day there was stuff and some of it was funny and good and some of it was just kind of um like a bit mean but like you know whatever people are probably quite used to that like you know cis white young man deals with ageism I think is probably like (laughs) no not the not the biggest not the biggest plight in the world but but people
0: also questioned your privilege you know trinity student this kind of thing how did you feel about that narrative
1: Oh, like this, there was like running on his like parents' money. Like I was like, what? Like, uh, you know, and, and the Phoenix did an did a, a profile piece after the election. Um, I was doing my studying for my finals and then got this kind of cold call from the Phoenix saying like going through things. And they're like, you know, it's like, ha, ha, you know, Haskins maintains he's from like, not from a privileged background. Um, and that his father was a mechanic, but he doesn't mention that he inherited his father's estate. It's like, yes, because my dad died, <laughs> like, you know, and that, that there was just like this.
0: And that estate is like a, a, house, a house and a, like, and yeah. a mechanics workshop. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, and a house valued in two thousand and six, which is not what it's actually worth, you know, um, because, because things were, ma- were mad then. Um, but that that's that there was there was an awful lot of assumptions about who you are, where you've come from, that you must be privileged because you're yeah because you're in Trinity um, or like, and and it was it's it's not like yes I've loads of I have loads of privilege absolutely have loads of privilege. And um, growing up with loads of money was not one of them, um, was not a privilege that, that, I, that I had necessarily. I, I mean, I wasn't growing up poor, but like there was an awful lot of assumptions that people tried to fit you into a narrative. Um, the other thing that happened was after the election, when we didn't get elected, there was a headline in the journal, which was, you know, how uh, Haskins gets, had, had um, more Facebook friends than votes. That was the thing. And that, that was repeated quite a lot. Um, um, And I, like, I remember after the election getting a letter from, like, a young person in Galway who'd been, like, I loved seeing the campaign. Like, it gave me, you know, um, lots of encouragement to do something myself in the future. And, like, that, of course, like, if you do a campaign that was targeted nationally, only a certain amount of people will live in a constituency, be eligible to vote, go and actually vote. Of course, it's going to be a smaller subsection, but it was the, like there was that headline was kind of there with, with glee, um, in, in some quarters, but I, I do think that like, and st- still you can probably hear it. Like I overemphasized the negatives there when I, and then when I look back, I almost feel that I, it, it blinded me to the positives and to how many more people were actually really supportive and wanted good things to happen. And, Um, saw it as a positive thing and there was probably more of those people and and it my one of my regrets is maybe not not being able to acknowledge that enough at the time actually as well Um, because you're distracted by the negative stuff and trying to counter that
0: by the time um the like the day of the vote came around i think all of us were completely burned out um it was a really stressful time as well because we were working kind of around the clock also dealing with job loss, with um, you know, <laughs> how the fuck are we going to pay the rent? Kind of uh, situations, um, and the kind of swirling trauma and realization of what the new government was going to be. Um, what happened on the on election day for you?
1: On the eve of the election, I honestly didn't know, like what way it was going to go. I don't think any of us had any idea because there was just no, what the, the campaign had had such a public profile, but we would no idea whether that would translate into votes, whether that would translate specifically into the constituency. Um, and, and it was just a, like thinking it's, it's unlikely something will happen, but I really have no idea whether <laughs> my life will take this turn or that turn tomorrow, who knows. And then on the day of it, um, this is the thing, we were trying to like learn what you do from other people and people saying, yeah, no, you kind of stay out of the same center until you're about to get eliminated or elected and then you kind of come in. There, there, there was, I remember on, so on the day um, we finished ahead of Sinn Féin. Um, I think we, we, we finished ahead of Mannix Flynn as well and it was trying to see where the, where the transfers would go um and i think interestingly i remember looking back and seeing where most of my transfers went and i think a, a lot of them went to john gormley actually they went back to the green party which i thought was quite interesting um but um yeah then just the kind of like giant kind of sense of pride in what we've done exhaustion disappointment um, I remember that all of the Labour people milling about, talking about going into coalition, and and I, m- I remember at the time saying to um, I think it was to to Rory Quinn or to someone else about you know it, it, don't don't do it, stay out. You'll be the largest party in the opposition, and you'll change the or the dynamic of Irish politics by doing that. Um, but I think a lot of the the Labour politicians at the time felt there's a lot of older older um men mostly in the party who felt this was probably their last chance at a ministerial office and making something happen I do think it was for good reason and I think they felt that that they had been elected specifically on the mandate to be in a coalition so that it wasn't a solely kind of Fine Gael, um government but um it's easy to say kind of look back on that one and be like well I told you so but it, it was like you can genuinely see how that played out and now you know Labour are are on what like 3% in the last poll last week or something um which uh although obviously bigger alignments have happened since in Irish politics Mm -hmm.
0: when you look back on it now um it's 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 an interesting period um of our our lives and friendship I suppose because um I was extremely proud of what we did you know was this like little you know just have a go you know just just try and do something you can't always be complaining about things like you just have to have a go and if people take the piss or you know undermine you or say that your intentions are something that they're not you know that doesn't really matter um because we can kind of stand over it really I suppose um even though ultimately you didn't get elected uh we did everything that we could and more you know 10 times more and it didn't work um, but it actually kind of did work, right? Because we had all of these massive experiences um, where you know we're dealing, trying to solve very complex problems. Um, the stakes we felt the stakes were like so high. You know, obviously, you know they 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 were high to us. You know, um, and there is a sense that the campaign. Uh, this is not to, like, make it out to be, you know, the biggest thing ever, which obviously, you know, it's it's just a thing that happened, but was kind of ahead of its time um, in terms of the messaging and the kind of online part of it. I don't think there's many campaigns that have an independent candidate that have kind of cut through uh, nationally and internationally, you know, in 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 that way Um because we didn't have a pre-built story. You know, we had to build the story of, of the whole thing ourselves. But at the same time, yeah, and, and then kind of in the back of your mind, you're like, shit, maybe, maybe, you know, Dylan might actually win. And you're thinking about like, oh, that'd be a, an amazing story. But we were all got, you were going back to college. Myself and Fiona, I think, I think Fiona was, we were both, you know, going back to, you know, effectively living in, in, in the recession what what do you like you're talking what was the
1: impact for what was the impact for you last like cuz you you were obviously much more involved in the marriage equality referendum than i was you were you were one of the main people involved in that um uh what 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 like did you take things from cuz obviously if the election was your first big kind of political experience was there things that you learned and that you took through into other campaigns in other ways or things you learned to not do
0: yeah i think most of my kind of early, earlier political experiences were all around protest. So this was, you know, a point to engage with a system that I really distrusted, but felt that if we're if this is what we're going to live under, you know, we should engage and try to affect change. I don't know if that's true, like subsequently, I'm not sure if that's the way to go about things. I think what I learned about it is not necessarily about campaigning or politics. I think it goes back to something you were saying, Dylan, about if you really want to do something and you have, you know, the support of, you know, a group or of a collective or a friends or whatever. And if you have a roof over your, over your head and if there are creative people around you that you can draw from, you can actually go and do it. And the remarkable thing about it was you could do it to a much higher standard than the people whose job this is. It kind of goes back to, I remember when I started as an intern in the Sunday Tribune doing you know the kind of grunt news reporting work and a lot of it would involve calling politicians or calling uh, you know party press offices and asking them about this particular piece of policy or story or thing that's or issue, and oftentimes, you know, the answers were very lacking or non-existent and having this kind of realisation as a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old or whatever in the newsroom going, God, I, I don't think a lot of these people know what they're doing, <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. And having the knowledge from a news background of the political establishment gave me the encouragement to actually... Do what we were going to do because i knew that we were going to do it very differently to everyone else but i think the thing that it taught me most apart from how important friendship is actually and how even the most stressful you know in the most stressful times where you're piling all these responsibilities onto yourself some of which you should probably shouldn't do that like no matter how often that breaks down in the moment and we had so many arguments um myself and yourself Um, how friendship, you know, when the intention is good, like it will go through, you know, will maintain and sustain. And that's something that I've, I think I've learned, you know, that no matter how, when things break down or when you're really pissed off with someone or you just feel like, you know, shaking them or whatever that, you know, everybody's in that zone and, you know, it's okay. Like you will, you will kind of, um get through it together but you know more I suppose broadly zooming out I'll ask you this in a second uh with regards to kind of lessons the one thing that I think we did wrong was that I think we weren't truly ourselves
1: that's what I was, that's my, that's literally my answer to that question. When you were to ask me that question. Oh, really? It's authenticity. And it, I wouldn't address like I thought a politician should address. I wouldn't yeah. have done, I wouldn't have done that. The bit that we did to nod at what we think a politician is to fit with what we thought people were expecting of that. I wouldn't have done any of that. I would have just been all of myself as opposed to part of myself, but trying to play part of the role of an expected of a politician. It wouldn't have worn a suit, you know?
0: Yeah. I think that was the big, there were so many successes, but I think fundamentally that was the big mistake that we made. I think that we were so devoid of um, role models, I suppose, in politics, like younger role models that we thought that we had to act in a particular way or adopt a particular type of rhetoric or, you know, be um, serious, you know, and or be professional. And, and, you know, so-called professionalism is what led to the fucking crash that we were operating within. And I think that we were maybe scared of being ourselves. I think that if we went out there with you being who you were, and this was a systems failure of, of the campaign, you know, it's no individual or whatever. I probably was one of the main authors of this failure, I would say, thinking of things from like um, a communications perspective or how things were going to be perceived. I thought there was we were up against so much in terms of credibility that we had to adopt the aesthetic or let's say the facade of what was deemed to be grown up and serious. And I think that was wrong. I think we should have been much more radical. I think we should have been far less I don't know, I think we were trying to be quite straight or something. I think we should have been much more radical and much more ourselves. But again, there were no uh, roadmaps for that beyond, you know, someone who's like a Healy Ray or a Luke Ming Flanagan or someone who was just like an eccentric, essentially. So we instead leaned into the tools of our masters and they didn't work. And I think that's a really good lesson.
1: Definitely definitely that there's I the thing that I kind of like realized after was people were craving um people to not be that and to be relatable and I think we've gone I mean I think people still do look for that but I also think there's been a whole um there's people there's, there's I think people realize that and actually capitalized on that and putting um like uh um there's definitely politicians who do a perceived sense of authenticity, but it's actually constructed authentic constructed pseudo-authenticity. Um not to get too kind of you know, whatever on it. But um, but and and, and but I do think people can smell authenticity ultimately, and you, you can kind of get caught out if you're if if you if that's not there. And there was a moment where uh I was asked if It was, it was a tabloid, one of the tabloids and they bought me a coffee and, and I was sitting down somewhere in Grand Canal Dock. And then they started edging the conversation from when you were doing gigs, would you, you know, well, people have been drinking at those gigs and, you know, and and have you ever done drugs? And they edged it into that straight away. And my fear just went straight up of how do you handle this? And, and I, and I can't remember what I said. I might, I think I said something like, you know, well, obviously I've, you know, um, smoke the joint or whatever you know but I don't I don't make a habit of it and uh and the headline was hey Dylan is as rock and roll as his namesake but like it could have easily been a really negative headline on the same thing as well and and you know first of
0: all like what an (laughs) inaccurate piece of reporting like you're the most fucking un-rock and roll person
1: (laughs) it's it was so ridiculous and uh but but you know and now you're just like you, you just People just just answer like a human. Say what, say the truth, and people will be like, "Well, fuck, that person just said the truth." That's kind of nice to hear, isn't it? You know, and like, just don't try and like, PR the question and try and like dance around it in a way that you're spinning it. Like, and people hear that they they know it because they hear it so much. And actually, people were craving people that would not talk with that spin. I think that's why. You know Saoirse McHugh got the reaction she did that first time around as when, when she was running for, for the European seat because she was she was she was answering questions in a way that you know people would answer a question themselves, you know, if there wasn't a camera in front of them and all of the the stuff that's artificial around around you when when you're you know the 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 one caveat that I do remember was people wanted to hold you to a really high level of accountability while also other people wanted authenticity and I think the difficulty is trying to fall between those two stools Um, and when I say accountability accountability is correct I mean like that you should be squeaky clean and there should be nothing that you've ever done wrong in your life there was that expectation because people had kind of just been burned by their politicians really and and that was how they wanted to hold people up and on another side there was people wanting you haven't engaged in politics who wanted people that they could relate to and We've definitely seen much more of those type of those type of people coming, coming. And yeah, I'm I'm sure there's always you, 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 you learn to moderate what you're saying as well to not, no one, no one will be the same person in front of a microphone than they would without the microphone there. But there is definitely a measure more of yourself that you can reveal and that you should reveal.
2: I never thought I'd be a politician. I've always worked in my community to find solutions where obstacles appeared and negativity persisted, but I've seen the enduring spirit and selfless imagination of a community inspired, so I never accepted that these were reasons to give up. We write the future, and we should stop telling ourselves that this is all beyond our control. The economy of ideas is booming. We have an opportunity to listen more considerately and search deeper to determine what sort of state we want to live in. We're going to build a new political infrastructure because we can no longer bear the weight of the old one. We can no longer accept the inequality that is entrenched and because above all else, Ireland has changed. After this election, crucial decisions are going to be taken that will affect all of our lives. So we need more than just a vision of what we want our society to be. We need a new voice to take a seat at that table when those decisions are being made. We need to harness the wisdom of older generations and match it with the aspirations of the young. I'm staying here to see our future through. You don't need me to tell you just how difficult things are right now. We're all living it. But this isn't about what you're voting against. This is about what you're standing for. I stand for a country where equality is more than a priority. It needs to be a reality, because we're in this together. I stand for a city where doors are opening, not closing, because a city is more than property. I stand for transparency in public office because secrecy is unnecessary if there's nothing to hide. My name is Dylan Haskins and I'm standing as an independent in Dublin South East. And I need you to stand with me. You can find out more about my ideas, donate or join the campaign at dylanhaskins.ie. But most importantly, vote for me as your number one. It starts here.
0: I definitely think every journalist who endeavors to uh, assess politics, comment on politics or whatever. um, If you are involved in running a campaign or if, or building a campaign or, you know, I I do get some uh, grief sometimes from, from other journalists who think that I blur the lines a little bit too much. Um, I think it's really, really valuable because you, can understand what it feels like on the other side and it gives you a perspective that you just can't really get uh trailing someone as opposed to helping them but you know mind you I mean most journalists end up going into political PR, anyways
1: <laughs> but you know what, what I, I I it definitely one thing I learned about journalism from being on on that side of it was um, everyone asked you the same questions, and you got used to just that. You knew you'd hear the question coming five questions earlier because the previous person had asked you similar questions, and um, and 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 it was it was became quite easy to to sell a line that would be the line that people would pick up. And I, I learned how how often it easy how easy it is for politicians to manipulate narratives that are in the media and and stuff. And and then as a journalist that teaches you to try and subvert those things and to look for different narratives and to try and question things more. And yeah. And so that was flipping over to that side and then being back on the journalist side again, you know, that, that, that's definitely something it was useful to have had a, have had a taste of being the person being asked rather than asking the questions.
0: Mm. So that was that, that was um, (laughs) 2011, 10 years ago uh, this week um after it of course like so many people you did emigrate you ended up um leaving for london um
1: despite in my campaign video saying i'm staying here to see our future through <laughs> um which it turned out to be my degree through and then I, <laughs> then I emigrated yeah
0: um like so many other people i suppose you know opportunities and um the context of the time what are you up to now
1: opportunities and lack of opportunities like I I I was working part-time in RTE and I felt that if I stayed if I stay I could see you know part-time as in freelance getting picking up the odd job but I could see that I could stay at that and then I might get a reporter job and then I might get a presenter job and I was like I was like oh and then that's like that's your life like then and I was like I don't want to do I never want to know how things might play out and what that what, what might be and I was I was more excited by the unknowable possibilities of, um, trying to, trying to, I, I feel like, I feel like people in Ireland are as good and as, as anybody anywhere else work as hard as anybody anywhere else. And I was quite interested in the idea of like the same, it's the same input Every, people who are, who are, who work hard and, you know, are creative. Everyone has the same input, but if you're somewhere that's bigger, sometimes there's potentially bigger output and outcomes from that stuff I and mean, that was something that kind of attracted me to going to london in, to to kind of for a while to try stuff out
0: sorry sp- your question
1: i ignored your my, question
0: my quest- question was what are you up to at the moment and um,
1: so i'm working as commissioning executive for podcasts um for bbc sounds and um, so lots of kind of Everything from uh investigative podcasts. So I mentioned like Where is George Gibney, which which um we did with second captains to we've just done one called I'm not a monster, and um, which is another investigative one. I'm I'm really I'm, I really love the investigative stuff. It kind of um we also do like like comedy, which I also love, like Wheel of Misfortune, which is Alison Spittle and Fern Brady, and Bad People, which is a true crime one, um, and uh you know perfect Sounds with James A caster but but I love I, I love those things, but the, the investigative stuff the, there's a satisfaction that you get from stuff that is public service and 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 I, and I suppose why I was attracted to public service broadcasting in particular was because you get that satisfaction without having to go for election every four years. Now you can say that the impact isn't as great as a politician can make, and you can't help as many people as a politician can often help when they're doing their job. Um you can't change you can't actually change the laws. But um, there's there's definitely a, a public satisfaction without the insecurity of every four years having to do it's not just the insecurity, you know the the thing that I the thing when I was talking about what scars you was there's an expectation to say a certain thing to say the thing that you know people will want you to say that isn't necessarily the full extent of what you would like to say and that you have to um frame what you're saying in a way that will will play well in politics and i that made me slightly uncomfortable um and if you don't do that you 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 get punished electorally. It's not um. It, it's not you know. That's the main reason. It's quite a pragmatic reason. Whereas in in on the broadcasting and in the journalism side, you're there is no there's no reason why you should tell one story over another story. You just tell the story.
0: Mm. Yeah, good point. Sometimes I'm asked, you know, why don't you get into politics? And my answer is. I'm in politics. (laughs) I may not be in electoral politics or whatever, but, you know, politics doesn't stop at the uh, door of Leinster House or at the end of a Zoom parliamentary party meeting. You know, and we I know we myself and yourself don't often have debates about the merits of engaging in electoral politics um, and how it's very, very evident that, you know, the massive seismic social change that has occurred in Ireland has been people led, has been protest led, um, that comes to form kind of campaigns. I'm not saying. Therefore, don't engage, therefore, don't vote or, you know, things like that. I'm not saying that I obviously the ideal situation is, you know, you have a political a party, political establishment um, and a Group of legislators who represent where the country is at, that represent people in the country in all of its diversity, and who who lead. Although I'm f- massive issues with kind of leaders in general, but like who reflect points of view and who aren't disconnected. You know, there's obviously many many more arguments for that being the case, and that I you know you can argue whether that is or or, or isn't, but. Um, i i i I you know' highly suspicious of um of of the system and you know I don't think an alternative to a political party is another political party um I think it's 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 something else it's something much more fundamental and I think that we're really seeing the consequences of the ha- people becoming politicized through grassroots action because people are are politicized in a different way and it's a really good way for people to engage because all of a sudden you begin to think a, a little bit more radically or uh, you can see the thing that you're doing is, is much more pure I suppose um, and I think that we are inevitably seeing the knock-on effect of that in electoral politics you know with the likes of Holly Kearns for example coming directly from the repeal movement, despite the fact that, you know, vast swathes of the commentary had said that these things would just happen and not have any impact, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I have my, my massive um, suspicions. And I also have a massive amount of, um, you know, pride in, in, in what you did and what we did as a group of friends as well. And uh, I kind of don't think about it that much because I think, after it happened, it was so stressful and it was so tied up in me losing my job. And, you know, it's there, are, there are so many. Uh, it's also tied up in the crash and in the recession, and it's tied up in not leaving as well, you know. Um, and how how unresolved the trauma of the recession is, I think, not just for me, but for for so many people but i think that resolution is you know will be manifest in how people are now much more politicized people weren't as politicized then you know there hadn't been two referendums kind of back to back within a couple of years the
1: the thing you're talking about with the not not having left um you know um whereas i did leave and i often had a fomo of of what was happening in ireland and not being able to be around more in Ireland. Ar- that it, what was happening and but yet the things that you did in ireland were were actually on a global stage like those images from from 20 2015 20, were, were 2015 2016 were um, the marriage equality referendum were were all over the world, you know, like the repeal, like stuff, like you were talking at events, like, you know, in London, what Ireland did in those two referendums was global and was around, was had impact and resonance and I'm sure inspired loads of people around the world. And I think that's quite, you, you know, you don't have to have left to have had a global impact, which was, What initially spurred me to actually think I should leave um and so so yeah I, I think there's but I did I the other thing you're talking about the the trauma and the unresolved trauma like there's some questions that you just asked me there about like how did I feel about certain things that I've actually never unpacked and I've never actually gone in there and and some of them I was I've had to like kind of like start like opening doors there and be like what did you think about that and there's an awful lot of things you repeat to yourself and you tell yourself again and again that become the narrative but it sometimes you need to kind of take a step back and take us then look back in on it and be like what actually was happening there or how do you actually feel about that and um yeah but I, i i don't know i i've like the thing the thing you 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 yeah, you know, as I said, this whole thing started because you were like, one of us got to run. Uh, you do it. Uh, it's gonna be you. Um, you have to leave skeletons in your closet. You do it. Uh, then, then I have tons of skeletons now. But um, um, what, 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 what were those skeletons that you that you didn't want in your closet? I still, I've always been intrigued as as that. But you know, it's it's been it's been huge. you talk about you know leaders and and leadership and you really, you really, um, you, you were a leader within that campaign, but you also became a huge leader after, after that. And, uh, likewise, like I, I was, I I was really inspired seeing what you did and what you did in Ireland afterwards and how, how like important those changes that, that you, you know, kind of were one of the leaders on, uh, were, and the thing that I, in terms of the messaging of the campaign, I remember at the very start, Fionn brought his marketing head and was like, what's the one thing that you're about if you bring it all back to your core ideas? What's the one idea that everything else leads back to? And for me, it was always about, it was always about DIY, which was about, the, and this is in my line, this was someone I interviewed once in a line. She said, "Giving Di- Ellen Lupton, she said, DIY is about giving the tools to the people who have something to say. Um, And I've thought loads about that. That was, you know, it's about, that's about empowerment essentially. But it's also like, it's about fairness actually is what that is. It's about fairness. And that is like, you know, the core value that was, it's still my core. It's still the thing I get most annoyed about is things that are not fair. Um, And it's still the thing that drives me the most. And I think that drove, drove us all the most. And it's the thing, if you look at like, what have those, what have the big movements in Ireland been about in recent years? It has been fairness. It has been fairness to people. It's still fairness. It's still fairness with the mother and baby homes. It's, it's the, and it's the, that is the issue that is, it feels like is is driving everything and has been driving everything for the past 10 years. And there are so many different people who can pick up um, the mantle on that and who, you know, have the things to say and that they're the tools that you you want to give to them to lift up um and that's kind of why being in journalism is quite nice because you don't have to be the person in front of the microphone all the time you can give the microphone to other people